Welcome to this week's podcast of Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. It is uh, a joy for me to join you again on this uh, Sunday as I was sharing with the elders a little bit earlier with uh, God always moving you around. I never had a chance to really be close to my immediate family and cousins and so forth because God had always moved us somewhere else. And so, and the church family was really our family. And for my children, we have seven children. I shared a little bit about our story with that last year when I was with you. But, you know, the church family has always had those surrogate grandparents and aunts and uncles for my kids. And Sunday morning was the highlight of our week to be together as God's family. And I I pray that you will experience that uh, even today as we're here, as we share life together, as we sing and move our hearts toward God and his uh, heart for the world. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today in terms of even our own district, which is, again, 75 churches that are in uh, three states. And even though the, the values of the Evangelical Free Church is every church is autonomous in terms of living out its individual mission... We have found great value in partnering together with very intentional things in this area of the United States. And geographically, because of just where the churches are located, uh, every month I meet in 10 different areas with pastors who are part of the Free Church, where we pray together, where we support one another, encourage one another, talk about ways where we can join together in that geographical area to bring the gospel to every man, woman, and child, how we can intentionally look at ways to to multiply and expand uh, churches within those areas. Uh, Just so you're aware, there's not one county in the United States where the the reality of church growth and membership has kept up with population growth. In other words, we're, we're losing ground all the way, and so we are asking the questions, how can we be more intentional or proactive in terms of what God may want to do in each geographical area where God has planted those, those churches. And so in, in terms of what it is in my role, I'm, I'm a, really a pastor to the pastors and really look and focus on the area of uh, the personal health of the leaders that are a part of the church, as well as even the health of the, the church itself. So if there's conflict, we provide resources for that, or I myself get uh, intentionally involved with that. If they're looking for a pastor, I help that church in terms of a pastor search process to, to unite a, um, a pastor with a church that has the same vision. And in and, and other areas that we work on together is conferences that we offer. We invite you this year, our spring conference, which is going to be in Fort Collins at Faith Church there. We're bringing in Larry Osborne, who's going to help us in terms of looking at how do we develop leaders within our context, within the local church, but also the next generation of leaders. And so there's a lot of ways that we combine and work together, but one of the greatest ways is prayer. And um, I mentioned this to you, but I just want to share with you God's answers to prayer in our own district. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, and we're going to look at Luke 10 here in just a few moments, where Jesus is saying that we are to intentionally to pray to him as the Lord of the harvest, that he will raise up more workers for the harvest field. This last year in 2023, um, as we have been praying about somebody joining the district in terms of a full-time intentionality toward church multiplication and leadership development, 
God uh, raised up uh, Kevin Bowes, who has just started in this uh, new role. He was planted the church in Colorado Springs, and that church became an established church, and he felt a real calling uh, to that. So this last year, we've been kind of in transition. We haven't made it known that we are looking for church planners for different areas. All we were doing is praying Luke chapter 10, verse 2. And in the reality of what's going on in the church today with a lack of young men going into the ministry, we continue to just pray that. And this last weekend, uh, we assessed four different couples to be church planters in our district. And it was just through prayer. There wasn't any advertising. There was nothing. These families would call us and say, this is what's on our heart. God kind of uh, moved us to talking to you specifically about that. And so I want to just encourage you to set your watches, your phones, to 10 out, two minutes after 10 every day, morning and night, that we would pray that God would raise up more workers for the harvest field. So as I've been traveling throughout the district, as I do, uh, again, I've been in this a full-time role now for two years as I'm listening uh, to leaders and what's going on in churches, I want to share with you some things that may be reminders But also as I'm hearing about what God is doing and what you've been talking about as a congregation, to affirm that and to to get you to think creatively today about some things within your life personally, but also as the church itself. And so you'll you'll see this, uh, again, question up there. It was a question that we have been uh, having churches to really answer, and if your church closed its doors, would the people in your community notice or be impacted by the loss. In other words, more than just those who are a part of this congregation, but the the impact of the gospel and how that is lived out, not only verbally, but lived out in a community, and we're going to take a look at a passage in a few moments, would this community even notice? We have to ask that question because where the kingdom of God goes, there is change and transformation that happens through the people of God, but also corporately as the body of Christ is intentional about bringing the gospel to every man, woman, and child and meeting needs within the context of that community. So what are the needs in this community or the surrounding communities or where those of you who are a part of this church come from, <clears throat> excuse me, that you can look at and say in tangible ways we could bring the gospel and build relationships with people. So we're going to look at a passage in in Luke chapter 10 in just a few moments that asks that question. There was a, a religious leader who was trying to justify himself, to rationalize the way he was living and living his life, and and the question was asked, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor and how am I called to be a neighbor to them in terms of what it means to, to in a very uh, intentional way, love the people who God brings into your path, the people in the community where this church is at. So if we look at Luke chapter 10, you can turn there your Bibles, it'll be on the screen as well and follow along. I want to read this story that Jesus shares, the context here is that Earlier in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends out the workers into the harvest field. They come back with a great report of what God had done. It's the only time in the Gospels where we read that Jesus was full of joy. I think he was full of joy because they were beginning to understand and get why they were here, why we are here still. Why God doesn't just zap us into heaven since our citizenship is in heaven. We're alien strangers in this world. Why does God have us here? 
Why is the church here? And so in that, as, as Jesus begins to then teach, there is a question that someone asks him, how do I receive eternal life? And Jesus says, how do you read it? And he says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he says, go and do likewise, and you will experience what eternal life really is, which is a relationship with God in which God, again, again lives in and through us to bring the reality of the gospel to those who are part of that community. And so then he tells the story because he asked the question, who is my neighbor? And so in that today, I'd like us to think about that for yourself personally, but also as the church itself. Who is my neighbor? So Jesus replies, and he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fall, fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So we, we see the story set up again. There was a, a reality of, of Levites and priests who were the religious leaders of that day who were supposed to model the reality of what does it mean to love God and what does it mean for us to love our neighbor. It was rooted in the words of the, the Old Testament that continued all the way through. One story from Genesis to Revelation for all of us here of the reality of that that is the purpose why we exist, to love God with all of our being. And out of that relationship then, we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so the Levite here and the priest did not model the reality and that's who was, again, asking the question about why we are here, that we would allow our lives to be interrupted by whoever my neighbor is at any one moment, that I would give myself to love them. That I would not just go on with my plans, my purposes, of why I think I should and how I should be living my life in any one moment or a day. And right now, we're all neighbors with each other. The people that you're sitting next to as we're here, that there's a reality of how do I love the people that I'm worshiping with today. But the reality, most of all, is when we leave here in a few moments, so what does it mean for me to, to love the people that God is going to bring across my path? And whether it's at a gas station or a grocery store or in the neighborhood that God has placed you or this week further on in the school that you're in or from the standpoint of where I work and, and all those places, what does it mean for me to have my eyes opened to see what God sees? So the story continues, but a Samaritan, and again, we again to know the reality of the Samaritans, the religious leaders, the Levites and the priests would have not appreciated this example because of all the people that were in that area, they despised the Samaritans. They were the enemies, yet here in this story, the Samaritan is the one who takes notice and came to where this person was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion is not just merely feeling pity for what's going on for people that are in our lives. Compassion means that you actually get involved, that it costs you something, your time, your talents, your treasure, to do something about the needs of a person who is in front of you. And as we see Jesus living in the, in the communities that he was at, there was, a, there was a dual reality of what he was saying, but there was also the aspect that he met real needs. 
that people had, bringing the kingdom in tangible ways. And so in verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the reality of, of again, studying the word of God together here Sunday morning or anytime we're together is not that we would, again, just acquire knowledge but the purpose of the scripture is transformation, it's application, it's, it's dependently obeying God who is speaking to us about the things that are most important to him to gain his perspective. And how would Jesus live if he were living in your shoes or in the context of the body of Christ collectively? How do we do this together? Go and do likewise. Faith is an action that we live out intentionally. And so in, in the context of how we live our lives, the reality, just to give you an illustration, is, is that if I were to put on these glasses, I wear these glasses at times, I put on around 50,000 miles on my car every year, visiting places, and I've run into sometimes some interesting weather, and these glasses actually take things when they're dark to give me better eyesight to actually see what the reality is. What's going on on the road and keeping aware of animals and, and it helps me to see when it's snowing or raining and it brings things that seem dark into light. And so in the context here of God looking at our relationships, our relationship with God and other believers and non-believers, I'm asking you today to put on new eyes to see what God sees when he sees this church and when he sees the community. A little bit of my own story in regards to living this way in a, in a very intentional way is I learned early on when I came to faith when I was 19 years old at the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse where I was uh, competing on the cross country and track team and, and then uh, I thought that was really my major until I realized I really had to study for my major for what was coming up but God began to change my heart toward why I was there. Yes, it was to get a degree. It was to to have meaningful work that fit with how God had made me and so I went into the area of public uh, school in the public schools and I was a teacher and trained to do that and coach and all those realities but I realized while I was there through as I came to faith in Christ at 19 and began to understand that I was a missionary at the school. In fact, all of you, your identity is a follower of Jesus Christ through the spirit that lives within you. It's very clear that every single one of us is a missionary. Do you see it that way? Do you see your identity that way, that you're here as a missionary bringing the gospel in tangible ways to the people that God has brought in your life? I realized on the dorm floor that I was living on that, yes, I lived there. That was a, a part of God's provision for me. But God had uniquely placed me as a follower of Jesus Christ to have an influence and build relationships with lost people. First person I ever shared my faith with that I was actually petrified in doing, as I shared with you last, last time I was with you, I was a very anxious kid, filled with tons of fear. 
And so thinking about sharing my faith with the, the reality of rejection and being more introverted and so forth terrified me. And my discipler said he was going to pray that I would share my faith that a particular evening I was there. Scott was there. He was a partier. He was never there on Friday evenings. So I shared my faith, asking him a simple question, can I get your opinion on a little booklet called The Four Spiritual Laws? And to my surprise, at the end of sharing the gospel story and asking him what it would be like for him to cross that line of faith to trust Jesus as a savior, he came to Christ the very first time I ever shared my faith. There was uh, an intentionality on the cross-country and track team that I realized, yes, I was enjoying running and competing, but God had given me those gifts so that I could, again, have a relationship and share Christ. In my last year there, 13 of the track, my track mates came to Christ, and we had a Bible study, and 10 of them today are in full-time ministry. Now, just this farm kid who was shy and withdrawn Intentionally, as I was sharing Christ with them, God drew them to faith, and that's what God has called us to do. And I learned, again, that that had to be intentional. How could I be a good neighbor to somebody if they were going to hell and they did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and one day this, this life was gonna end and they were gonna stand in eternity before a loving God who has given them a way out of escape if I did not see what was really going on in their life. And so God, again, has called each of us to look at people the way that God looks at them. Part of how we did that as a church, and the church I pastored for 21 years, was to prayer walk our community continually. That we would pray for our neighbors, we would go to the businesses, we would introduce ourselves and say, how can we pray for you? We wanna see you become successful. We would go into the schools, and get an appointment with the principal and say, we're here to serve you and to serve your teachers, and can we help in any way? We began to ask ourselves the question in the community in Final Lac, Wisconsin, what are the areas where people were enslaved and they were struggling? And so out of that came addiction ministries and that we began to do where Jesus was the, the higher power, walking the 12 steps with Jesus Christ. We started as churches, evangelical churches, going to every school and being a part of a ministry called Kids Hope, where you began to work with at-risk kids and through those relationships and meeting the parents, we would earn the right to share Jesus with them. Offering counseling services for people that were free because they were so broken and had things they had, again, to, to work through in their lives and understand that Jesus ultimately is what they need for their soul. And I could go on with explanations, but it all came from the reality that we began to look at people in our community with eyes in which we asked ourselves, again, how can I be a neighbor? How can I love people like this Samaritan did to go out of our way, to be interrupted in our life, to say, I'm here because God wants me to love people intentionally? Now, the value of the kingdom that we see is what you'll see on the screen here, the, the, the reality of the difference between addition and multiplication. And so the kingdom value is that this would reproduce, that there would be multiplication in terms of more and more people becoming followers of Jesus Christ, more and more people being intentional about meeting the needs in the community. And so you can see it before you. If you multiply and just one becomes two with the first year and two becomes four the second year and you, you live all the way out, we see in 33 years, 
that 8 billion people can be reached. And the reason why I tell you that is to, to get this down to the real nitty-gritty level of practically, the, the reality is this can be done in this world that God has called to. This is the strategy. And every year in terms of what God is doing in and through my life as I sow seeds of the gospel and people come to faith in Jesus Christ as I help them become a follower of Jesus Christ and then they do the same thing, the reality is eventually that you will reach the world. And so God is inviting us to join him in that work of what he is doing. And it's really exciting for me to think about the possibilities within the Rocky Mountain District as the churches all join together in this kind of intentionality. Now, how, how do we do that? Well, the reality, the, the, the biggest theme that we see is the reality of Jesus' simple words of love your neighbor. How do I want to be loved as a neighbor? How do we, in a very intentional way, see this? It can't be overstated. This is the apologetic for the world who wants to experience true love, that Jesus embodies himself. What does it say in John 13, 34, and 35? How will they know that we are his followers? By what? Our love for one another. So even the church itself, as we invite neighbors, the, the people that we have a relationship with, whether it's family or the people where we're at, and as we begin to do this intentionally, as they see demonstrated the love of the people of God for one another, in very intentional, tangible ways, they are convinced that we are followers of Jesus, and maybe there is something about the gospel itself that they need for their own lives. But you know, it's really easy sometimes to get distracted, to have our lives and our heart focused on other things other than what Jesus says to us in terms of the intentionality of this. The reality is it can't be separated. The, the love of God that we have cannot be separated from loving people. Jesus links these two commands, especially in 1 John, verses in chapters three and four. You can't say you love God, but yet you ignore the needs of the people around you. They're there. If you love God, there will be a reality that that love will, in an intentional way, come out and impact people's lives. So the practical reality is asking the question, who are the friends in your natural path of life? Your friends that God has placed in your life for such a time as this, the, the relatives, that your family that you have, the associates that you have at school or your workplace, or the neighbors that God has placed you in. In those places, you need to think about those relationships and how can I love them. So the thing that was taught to me to make this really practical of how, again, the Samaritan loved this person who needed, again, someone to intervene in their life if they're left on the side of the road, and there are a lot of people around us who are being left on the side of the road who maybe don't have physical needs, but they have spiritual needs that are deep that only Christ can give. And so they're looking for all these ways and to, to deal with life and the, the problems of life and all of that. <clears throat> and they're on the side of the road and they're spiritually bleeding. And will we personally and as a church Again, be intentional about that. So I want to give you a simple process called spiritual CPR. And you guys know what CPR is, right? 
I'm a farm boy, so CPR for me was cultivating the ground, planting the seed, and then reaping the harvest later. Well, when I was 20 years old, part of my program at the school at UW-Lacrosse is that I would learn CPR. How many of you know CPR? The purpose of CPR is to intervene to save a life of a person. And so in, when I was 20 years old, I, was, I, I had an indoor track meet. I came up to the line, and I was in the first lane, and the gun was ready to go off, and all of a sudden, one of the, one of the timers fell off the stairs onto the track. And immediately we're like, what's going on? And someone jumped in immediately, began to give this man CPR, and saved his life. Right in front of me. Now, I'm gonna tell you, just as an athlete, it was really hard at that point to keep my focus on running a race now after what I just saw. The CPR is used. In fact, right now, if I fell to the ground, I would hope that someone would jump up a new CPR and start doing CPR until I started breathing again or my heart started beating. So as we think about this process being applied to our lives, I want to help you to think through some practical ways in which you can do that. Now, you guys all know the acronym TLC, right? Tender Loving Care. Let me do it a little bit differently for you in asking the question, who am I to be a neighbor to? The proximity. The first thing is you got to, again, be intentional about this, that you would see what God sees and open your eyes to see what's going on in your community, in the lives of people. And the way that you do that is the L, you begin to really listen. You ask questions. What are the things that people are facing today? You give them the gift of listening so you can understand the context where they're actually living their lives, and then you do the C, which is you begin to care and serve those people the way that Jesus would, to meet those needs. So the question is, who needs spiritual CPR in your community, in your life? So let me just briefly define this for you. C would be cultivating. Now, cultivating is defined as building bridges of friendship with people. This may happen in minutes, or it could happen over the course of years. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Now, when they gave him that title, they were trying to be derogative in terms of how he was living his life. But he wore it as a badge of honor because as we follow him, we are to reflect that. How am I to be a neighbor, to be a friend to sinners? Well, the reality is each one of us, if I could, again, use the illustration of an iceberg, we, we see certain things right in front of us, but really what's going on is what's beneath the water in an iceberg. It's how big it is there, and it's the same thing with people. What, is, what are the real needs of a person? Now, if somebody is going to share with you what's really going on in their life that's rooted in what they believe and what's happened in their life, their pain, their hurt, in all of those ways, we're going to have to spend time cultivating a relationship where they actually say that we're a friend. So I have to ask myself the question, how many people do I have in my life right now who are not followers of Jesus that would call me their friend? And we need to ask the question to all of us as well, or even the church itself. When the community looks at this church here, how do they view it? Because I can tell you one of the biggest things that people are facing in their life is isolation and loneliness. So you can be in a crowd and still be lonely because no one really knows you. 
And so in the reality of building friendships with people and not just being friendly but actually being a friend where you would adjust your life to spend time with people who are not followers of Jesus Christ and beginning to meet those needs and praying for them is how we cultivate relationships with people. That's what we see with what Jesus did and what we see with the Samaritan. Now, there is a lot of heartfelt needs that people have that are below the surface. And whether it's the area of fear or having security or comfort or acceptance or support, encouragement, affection or respect or giving an approval or blessing on people, we see the scripture talking about all of those things that God offers as a solution to what's going on in people's lives. So we cultivate relationships. We are intentional about that. That means you can't be so busy in your life with chasing after a lot of activities that you don't have space in your life for relationships. And I know that you kind of talked about hospitality lately and the importance of that, of bringing, again, lost people into your home with relationships and listening to them and finding ways to do the second part of CPR. And that's P, that's planting. You begin to introduce the seeds of God's truth and your relationship with him into the friendship. You become very intentional with this. You learn to share your story, your testimony. You begin to meet felt needs, opening the door for people to actually listen to what you have to say about Jesus and who he was. You begin to communicate the truth in both word and deed. They're both needed. They not only need to hear it, but they need to also experience it. And you move from playing it safe with just ignoring the reality of their spiritual need but as you keep your spiritual glasses on to see people, you know that at some point you're going to have to share your story and about the reality of who Jesus is. And you can do this in many ways. You can share your story differently depending on the audience. And, and certainly that's been my reality. Depending who I'm with, I have a neighbor right now in our back in which they have great needs that are going on. He suffered an injury from the COVID vaccine. And he was a special forces guy in the army. And now he's in a wheelchair. And he has three young boys. And his wife who's trying to keep this together. God brought us into that neighborhood so my wife and our family could minister to that family and give them hope that's beyond their circumstances now to what they will also need not only in this life but the next life to come. Ask intentional questions. Do you ever think about spiritual things to find out where they're at? There's so many books and resources, videos and events of apologetics or even the website Got Questions that can help to answer questions that people have. Spend extended time together or prepare for the times of crisis when you hear. We had a neighbor that was there where his son recently committed suicide. And asking all those questions. And do they have people in their life who can help them to walk through that and have answers to their questions? Praying for them and with them, this button, how may I pray for you, gets into all sorts of opportunities for me to pray with people in, at a gas station. It just happened not too long ago. Remember, there's a personal and corporate aspect to this as well. It's not only us personally, but as the church itself, how will you do that? And guess what just went off on my watch? Two minutes after 10. Would you join me in prayer right now? Lord, you have asked us to, to pray to you as the Lord of the harvest. 
And we're asking, again, first of all for ourselves, that we would be a part of an answer to that prayer. That we would be workers for the harvest field. And Lord, we know the needs are great, and so we pray that you would raise up more people of a missionary focus about their lives. And whether it's the schools or the businesses that are here, other things within this community here. God, you would raise up those individuals who would be intentional about bringing the gospel to those who are lost in this community. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And so the last part of CPR is actually the, the reaping. It's the, the part in which God prepares a person and they would respond to the gospel. A commitment that they would make. And I've had this question with many people over the years where I've just asked when I was a public school teacher too in the in the school and ministering to the teachers there and so forth and say, if I answer all your questions, what would prevent you from trusting Jesus? And seeing where they're at and where it's at and beginning to pray for that because we have a role, right, to plant the seeds and then God has a role of, again, drawing them into a relationship. And so you follow up with people and, and I can guarantee you if I fell here today and I stopped breathing or my heart stopped beating, I would hope that the person working on me would not say, well, like say I got 10 seconds to do this, but then I gotta get some coffee. They would continue to keep doing it until when? They became alive again. And so we repeat this process of cultivating and planting and reaping over and over again with people. We don't give up on it. We never stop, we continue to do that. And so let's remember, as I bring this to, to close here, is even we, we take communion, we do this in remembrance of Jesus. And as Jesus modeled this for us and challenges us here from Luke chapter 10 about being intentional and going and doing likewise, that we remember what it says in Galatians 6, 9, and 10, that let's not grow weary in doing good. I have relatives that I've been praying now for 42 years, celebrated my spiritual birthday in December. I still have not come to faith yet, but we don't give up. We continue to plant seeds <clears throat> and love people, and there's a harvest that is coming, and especially with encouraging one another as the body of Christ, and to remember that the apologetic that we live by is the love that we have for one another. That's why the enemy is always going to attack that. He's going to attack your unity. He's going to try to bring division between husband and wife, and between parents and children, and between brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes to get us distracted away from the mission of why we are here. Let's remember that. As C.S. Lewis said this last quote, and then I'm gonna pray and we'll celebrate communion together. See this quote, it says, God works in us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works in us through each other. As followers of Christ, we carry Christ to each other. That is why the church, the whole body of Christians, showing him to one another is so important. The church exists for no other purpose but to draw people to Christ, to make them followers of Christ. We can do lots of things in the church, but if we miss this, all the programs within the church are simply a waste of time. So Father, as we come before you today, and we're so Thankful to be a part of the family of God. We're thankful for this day today that you are speaking to us from the word about the life of Jesus who came to give us life, 
to model for us what it means to be followers of him. And so we, we come before you today, and Holy Spirit, I don't know what you're speaking to us, each of us about today, or even the church as a whole here in Brigham Park. But we look forward, God, to seeing what you're going to do as we do likewise what you have told us to do in this story of the Good Samaritan. The intentionality about how we live life. How we model that with each other. So that people may see that and are intrigued by the supernatural love that is displayed. And even when we fail to do that, the reality of your grace. So God, bring to our mind those friends, those intentional people, those people that you've brought into our life for such a time as this, and we trust you to bring them to faith. And we pray this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen.